Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. And obviously, in the midst of all of the uh, politics and all the other challenges uh, going on, uh, COVID 19 continues to, to rage through uh, in uh, ways I don't think anyone could have anticipated. Uh, but we need to get to f- figuring out uh, what is the, the process for defeating it and what's the attitude we should have uh, in order to do that. Really pleased to welcome to the program John Huntsman Jr., uh, former U.S. Ambas- ambassador to Russia and China, amongst other things. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Boyd, amongst other things, just a dad and a granddad. <laughs> yeah, and a governor in Taiwan and a, yeah, and a few, yeah, other, little, few yeah. other little things in there, chairman of the you know, board chairs and all those things. Wind uh, lots. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, hey, you, you uh, wrote a, a brilliant piece today in uh, Deseret.com uh, about how we actually go about defeating the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, you, you had an interesting source in terms of how this actually gets done. Give us some perspective on that. Well, Boyd, you know, first of all, I think the pandemic has humbled all of us. Uh, We've had it in our home. I had it. Uh, Family members have had it. And uh, it it begins to uh, cause you to think a little differently about how we're approaching it and uh, and how we ought to put things in proper perspective. And as I was writing that yesterday, I got thinking, you know, it kind of all starts at home. It starts in our families, uh, how we're prepared to deal with the pandemic. You don't have to rely on others because we're using very rudimentary approaches, just like they did 100 years ago with the Spanish flu, basically social distancing and masking. So it starts with the attitude in our homes, and it starts with uh, love and patience. Uh, I mean, I hate to put it like that, but that's kind of how we ought to see it. And a little bit more about the charity that we show uh, one toward another, because this is going to be around for a while. No one alive today was battling the pandemic 100 years ago. We're still using the same rudimentary approaches. And how this thing ends and how history will reflect on our moment in time will start first and foremost with how we dealt with it as human beings and families and how we dealt with it toward our neighbors and our loved ones and complete strangers. And if the history books wrote that we were more divided, we were more hate-filled, we were, we, were, we were filled with more poison, then shame on us. Because the pandemic will be here. It will burn out in time. We have to put it in perspective. We have to realize that we've had pandemics before. And above all, let's remember that we do have people who actually study this and analyze it for a living. Uh, they're healthcare and and science professionals. They have some things to say about it. And listen, I, I'm more of a libertarian, and I, I hate when my government tells me to do things that go against what my rights would suggest otherwise. Um, but I want to listen to the experts, and, and I want to do what is right based upon my position as a responsible citizen of the state and country. And and I, I just think that that's kind of how we ought to be 
seeing it at this point. Yeah, I think that's so uh, so vital. And I, I want to dive into the the science component and some of that in a moment. But I want to go back to uh, to the the politics of this. Uh, I, I love that you wrote that this uh, this pandemic had zero regard for political solutions, be they red or blue. Uh, and yet many continue to wait for elections or a politically brokered truce uh, that'll make it go away. I, I just don't think there's there's going to be a truce <laughs> with COVID-19. No, no, there's not. Uh, we may wake up the day after the election and find that the volume has turned down a little bit, but we still have the same problem. Uh, we still have all of the same problems we're dealing with. France is shutting down. They're, they're announcing this morning for a month. Uh, Germany is closing businesses. Uh, Europe is going back into the tank, and I suspect we're facing another serious round here. And I think we just have to be smart to that and use common sense and best practices. Uh, we kind of know what they are. Uh, we've all been educated, and now it falls upon us as uh, responsible citizens to to do the right thing. But shame on us for making uh, COVID a political issue. Um, I talked about this months and months ago, and I'll say it again. Uh, We've used it for political expediency uh, and political gain, and we never, never, ever should have done that. And that's one of the problems that we face today, boy, just generally speaking. We've, we've reached the point of, of, of over-politization of everything. Pandemics, where we live, who we associate with, where we worship, what we read, what we watch, and it's killing our country. Yeah. And uh, so what's the fix? Well, the fix begins at home. When we look at each other in the eye, our family members and loved ones, and say, our community and the well-being of our community means far too much for us to let it deteriorate with this cancer of division yeah. that is being fueled by everything being politicized. Yeah, that's right. And I, I've been dying to ask you this question. I had Yuval Levin from American Enterprise Institute on <clears throat> last week, and his book, uh, A Time to Build, is interesting, and and he talked about the institutions. You talk about this in in your piece in terms of trust, trust in institutions, and uh, you've all made the case that part of the problem is we have far too many who aren't really concerned about the institution anymore. Something like Congress is no longer an institution; it's a platform uh, for politicians to uh, to get their social media moments, to raise campaign funds, and you know try to grab more power in elections. Uh, but you you make this great case that, you know, we do have to be concerned about all of those things, including the scientists and the researchers that are part of that. Uh, you've seen trust and distrust uh, in our country, in countries uh, like China and Russia. Uh, how do we as citizens start building and reengaging so we do have that trust in our institutions? Our, our, our system, Boyd, is made up of a lot of really good shock absorbers. I mean, we can take blows. We've had we fought wars. We've had assassinations. We've had riots in the streets. We've had racial strife, and we continue to have it. But our shock absorbers really do protect us, and I, I reference that as it relates to our institutions of democratic rule. So if you look at America from Beijing or Moscow, as I've had the, the opportunity to do, what stands out loud and clear is the strength of our institutions. We can speak openly. Uh, we can all take different sides of an issue. But in the end, we have Congress. We have policymaking in the executive or execution. We have the courts. And we have the fourth estate in journalism, which has totally died, uh, unfortunately. And that is the strength of our system. And when I see that begin to weaken, that's when uh, the alarm bells go off, and that's when we start becoming like everybody else. Our institutions tied to our Constitution really are what make us completely unique in the world, and that has kept 
a solid bearing and an anchor amidst all the other things that we have experienced as a nation over two-plus centuries, and will continue to, so long as we can stop to consider that we are a very unique system. Uh, you have a republic, you know, if, if, uh, if you can keep it, uh, said Ben Franklin, I think. And, and here we are, still the envy of the world, still the superpower of the world, but our institutions and how strong they are really is going to make a difference in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a wonderful piece. We've got that on our Facebook page. You can read it also at Deseret.com or in the pages of Deseret News. Uh, John Huntsman Jr., always appreciate your insight. Uh, great perspective in terms of how we actually march this forward, each of us individually as citizens, as families, as neighborhoods and communities. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, boy. Great pleasure. All, All the right. best to you. All right. Again, that's John Huntsman Jr., former ambassador from the U.S. to uh, Russia and China, amongst other things, and a great perspective there in terms of how we need to come together uh, to actually move forward on uh, COVID-19. We're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour. When we come back, a call to root out racism. Find out more next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.